let's start with this. Name me a Canadian pipeline. First one that comes to mind. I'm going to guess that you went with one of maybe three. The Trans Mountain Pipeline, which our federal government purchased a couple of years ago. The Keystone XL Pipeline, which isn't actually a pipeline because it didn't get built. Or maybe the Enbridge Line, just because it's by far the largest of all the crude oil and natural gas pipelines that run through this country. But I'm going to guess that none of you, zero, named Line 5. I would be shocked if many of you even knew that it existed. I sure didn't. Even though it has been running from Alberta to Sarnia, Ontario, for more than 60 years. Line 5 is an offshoot of that main Enbridge line, and its distinguishing feature over the decades is that it runs through a narrow strait between Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. Its distinguishing feature right now is much the same, only it's the danger that it might pose to those two lakes and their shorelines and the legal fight over whether or not to shut it down, as well as the massive economic cost that would come with doing that. In short, for more than half a century, Line 5 has moved more than half a million barrels of natural gas and crude every day. And nothing bad has happened. Yet. So the question is, are we pushing our luck? What would happen if something bad did happen? How catastrophic could it be? And is it, as some governments would argue, worth the risk to keep all that fuel flowing? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Hillary Beaumont is a freelance investigative journalist. She's rapidly becoming one of our favorite guests because she finds interesting stories that don't have anything to do with the pandemic. She wrote this one for the Narwhal. Hello, Hillary. <laughs> um, thanks so much for having me. You are most welcome. Um, and this story you wrote is, is really interesting. And maybe I can just get you to start by... Um, Telling me what is Line 5 and and why I, for sure, and probably many of our listeners have just never, ever heard of it. Yeah, absolutely. So Line 5 is a really critical pipeline that we just never think about because most of it is underground. Um, most of it is in the United States. And, you know, if you've ever walked through your neighborhood in perhaps in Ontario and you've seen little um, flags sticking out of the ground that might indicate a pipeline under your feet. But you might not think about this on on an average day, but obviously like all of our home heating, our gasoline for our cars, our jet fuel, and all of these things come through pipelines. So line five actually goes from the tip of Lake Superior in Wisconsin through Michigan and then up to Ontario, and it takes fuel from Alberta all the way to Ontario and Quebec. So we've never heard of it, um, but it's a critical piece of infrastructure. Why are we talking about it today? Yeah, so in Canada, maybe we haven't been talking about it, but Michigan has been talking about this pipeline for 10 years. And uh, 
What happened last fall was that Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, decided, hey, uh, we're going to shut down this pipeline and we're going to give Enbridge until May 12th to shut it down. And that's when Canada was like, oh, wait, uh, hey, our oil and our all of our fuel comes through with that pipeline and we maybe don't want that shut down. When you say, you know, all of our oil and, and all of our fuel, can you give me um, some context about just h- how much of the fuel we use in eastern Canada uh, comes through this pipeline? Sure. So maybe I shouldn't say all of our fuel, but quite a lot of it does come through this pipeline. Um, so you're talking about 540,000 barrels per day of natural gas liquids and crude oil. So uh, I did the math and that's about 33 Olympic sized swimming pools of oil every day. So that's a lot of oil. And all of that is coming through this pipeline through the United States. And it's really important to Ontario and Quebec because it supplies fuel, like I said, for our home heating, gasoline, jet fuel for three major airports. And so if that line is turned off, there could be a big jump in prices for consumers as all of this oil tries to find its way to market. And then also that oil and the fuel supplies refineries in Sarnia in southern Ontario. And so if suddenly that fuel is shut off, there could be layoffs of thousands of workers at refineries in Sarnia. So that's that's a big concern right now. So before we get into, you know, what's happened and why Michigan is trying to turn this off, um, Maybe you could just lay out the players for us. So there, there's the Ontario government, obviously, um, and Michigan, as you mentioned. Uh, who else has a stake in this? Yeah, for sure. So we've got Michigan, we've got Ontario. Alberta, of course, wants to get its oil to market. Always, it's fabulously doing that. Um, And then we've got First Nations in Canada that could be affected by an oil spill from this. And then you've got Native tribes in Michigan and on the American side that could be affected by this pipeline. Uh, Of course, as I mentioned, workers in Sarnia. Then you've also got the Canadian government and the U.S. government now. So everybody is involved uh, over this pipeline that most people have <laughs> most people have no idea uh, that this is what's bringing them their fuel. So what what happened ten years ago um, that you mentioned in, in Michigan to sort of begin this process, and and why does Michigan want it shut down? Yeah, absolutely. To bring everybody on the Canada side up to speed, um, let's go back to 2010. On Louisiana's coast, more dirty oil washed ashore today. The greatest oil spill in American history now covers 29,000 square miles. The size an of official with the state, and they say this may be the worst oil spill ever in the Midwest. As you can see from some video, I think we have somewhere right here, sending millions of gallons of oil into the creek, into the Kalamazoo River, and a frantic effort to stop it from getting to Lake Michigan. When there were Animals, two huge oil spills that I think were a big wake-up call for people in the U.S. and in Canada about 
the impacts of pipelines. So first there was the Deepwater Horizon oil, oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Right. So you might remember images of ducks and turtles covered in oil. Mm-hmm. It was a huge, huge oil spill. Then there was also the Kalamazoo River oil spill in Michigan. Uh, that was another huge oil spill. It was the biggest inland oil spill in U.S. history, and it took years and billions of dollars to clean up. Right. That happened in Michigan, and so what happened was the the public in Michigan were like, oh my God, the, there are oil spills happening under our feet, in our waterways, affecting our drinking water. And so people in Michigan started questioning okay, like, what is the status of these pipelines? Um, So the National Wildlife Federation started looking into Enbridge's Line 5, and they realized that there's a section of this pipeline that goes through a very delicate area of the Great Lakes called the Straits of Mackinac. And this area is home to wetlands, fish habitat, uh, a lot of different communities draw their drinking water from it, and there are two pipelines from line five. It splits into two pipelines that go under the water um, and lay along the lake bed. So they're fully exposed to the water. They're just chilling on the bottom of the lake. And uh, the National Wildlife Federation is like, oh my God, we didn't know that these are exposed on the bottom of the lake. This could be a potential problem. And they start digging into it and they file freedom of information requests. They ask Enbridge for information. They can't get answers. So what they do is they hire divers to dive down into the Straits of Mackinac and see what this pipeline looks like. And in 2013, this is when the public in Michigan really gets like its first look at this pipeline, thanks to the National Wildlife Federation. And, And that video shows that the pipeline is looking pretty sketchy. So it's uh, it's covered in invasive mussel species that are spewing acid that could corrode the pipeline. There are long sections of the pipeline that are unsupported, just like hanging out on the bottom, unsupported. Um, the state guidelines say that this thing should be supported every 75 feet, but there are sections as long as 286 feet that are unsupported. And there are broken anchors, anchor supports. Um, and the issue that the Wildlife Federation thinks is like, oh, no, if the currents that are really strong in this area, you know, could bend or buckle the pipe, that could lead to an oil spill. So that's that's how people first started becoming concerned about this. Wait a sec. When you say unsupported, uh, what does that mean? Right. So this pipeline, if you can picture it, When it was first built in the 1950s, it was actually dragged along the bottom of the the lake. So it was supposed to basically like sit along the bottom of the lake, but the lake has like different depths to it, right? It's more shallow near near the sides, and then there's like big caverns in the middle. And so Enbridge had initially built supports for some sections of the pipeline, but then other sections were supposed to just rest along the lake bed. But over time, over the decades, the the 
kind of lake bed has shifted with the currents and then large sections of the line were left unsupported and just like hanging out in the water. Um, and there are still some anchor supports, which basically just look like little, like if you can picture like a staple over a pipeline, like they, they look kind of like that. They just hold it to the lake bed. So, you know, when you say there's there's a lot of danger uh, of a spill, how could a spill happen in this area? And, and how bad would it be, I guess, if it did? Yeah, absolutely. So the most likely way that this pipeline could rupture and lead to a giant oil spill is if the ships that are passing through the straits might be dragging an anchor along the bottom of the straits and then either hit the pipeline or grab onto the pipeline and then pull it. So that might sound like, okay, like how often does that really happen? It actually did happen. It happened in 2018. A a ship actually was passing through the straits and hit the pipeline and with with its anchor and scraped away some of the coating on the pipeline. Yikes. Yeah. And so it was a really near miss. And it actually did happen again in 2019. Another ship dragged its uh, accord along the pipeline and again, like scraped away coating, but didn't rupture the pipeline. So we've had like some near misses so far. And if the pipeline ruptures, this is where it could be really, really bad because this area of the Straits has really, really rapid currents that run through it. And um, those actually change really quickly, like on an hour by hour, day by day basis. So if there's a rupture in the pipeline, that oil immediately flows to the surface. And within hours, it's spreading everywhere through Lake Michigan, Lake Huron. And so I spoke to Dave Schwab, who is a researcher at the University of Michigan, and he ran a study that simulated 840 different spill scenarios. And he found that 1,100 kilometers of shoreline in lakes Michigan and Huron are vulnerable to an oil spill. And that includes Manitoulin Island, Bruce Peninsula, and a lot of shoreline in Michigan as well. And these these are, again, like really delicate areas, delicate fish habitats, and a lot of people draw their drinking water from these bodies of water. I also wanted to mention that Enbridge has disputed concerns that Schwab and environmentalists have raised, and the company does say that the pipeline is safe. Um, They say that they have valves on either side of the pipeline that can shut it off automatically if the pressure drops, and they said that they have a really good spill response system. And they also say that there's a low risk of a vessel strike and that invasive mussel species are not a threat to Line 5. Can you explain in a little bit more detail, how unusual is it for for those twin pipelines to be running through um, a strait like this? When you say it's sketchy, you know, how unusual is it that, that a pipeline would appear this way? Yeah, that's a really good question. So... A lot of pipelines that are more recent are actually, um, when they cross waterways, they're actually tunneled underground. So the company will tunnel under the body of water and then put the pipeline in a tunnel underground. But this pipeline, because it was built back in 1953, when people were really not thinking about the dangers of this, um, people were not thinking about oil spills, They weren't thinking about indigenous rights. They weren't thinking about climate change. 
all of that sounds like uh, a reasonably good case for Michigan to want <laughs> to shut this thing down. But I know, um, I know it's bigger than that. So, you know, how is this coming to a head and what options are out there maybe aside from just turning off the pipes? Yeah, so I guess it's coming to a head now because Michigan and Enbridge have so far been unable to find some kind of solution. There are a number of issues. I mean, I I should say that Enbridge has pressure tested the line and says it's in good working order. Enbridge has also added more supports so that it complies with state regulations now. Um, They've replaced a lot of the coding. But the reason that Michigan is still going ahead and shutting this down is because they reviewed company documents and found that the, the company had actually violated the terms of its 1953 easement numerous times. And so basically the state doesn't trust the company to run the pipeline anymore. So... First of all, the state just wants to shut this down as as soon as possible by May 12th, and they've taken the matter to court to do that. But there are other ways to get around this, I think. Like, it's possible if, if the pipeline is shut down, the fuel might need to be transported through trucks, rail, or potentially other pipelines. What would that look like, you know, compared to um, how much fuel you mentioned earlier that that Ontario gets from this pipeline? I assume it would be more expensive to drive it in or fly it in or take it by train. Um, do we have an idea if that's possible, how how high it would drive prices? I'm not sure exactly how high prices would go, but if you imagine for a moment, like, okay, let's say Michigan is, succeeds in getting a court order to shut this thing down. Um, immediately after the flow of oil stops, then you've got refineries kind of looking for other potential um, transportation of the fuels that they need. Um, a lot of that would have to go by truck and rail initially, and the the price just increases with that type of transportation. It costs more for that kind of transportation. So that price gets carried on to the consumers. Um, and then you're also thinking, okay, well, there could be other pipelines in the region that could carry some of these fuels. So Enbridge's line 61, that doesn't directly connect, but it could be connected. Um, there are also Kinder Morgan pipelines in the region that could carry some of this fuel. And uh, I asked Kinder Morgan if if they can do that and they wouldn't comment, but there are other pipelines that could substitute. And I think that you're just going to see like in the short term after this thing is shut down, if it is shut down, you're going to see a higher price for potentially months while people try to figure out solutions. So you mentioned, um, you know, back at the beginning when we talked about stakeholders that obviously Ontario and Alberta want this to continue pumping uh, gas and oil. But you also mentioned that now the Canadian federal government is involved and the the U.S. government as well. So how how high up is this gone? And I guess where did the two countries stand on? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, the Canadian government is kind of making me laugh a little bit here, to be honest with you, because they've been talking a big game. So I am shocked that the Canadian government would talk a big game. <laughs> It's really funny. So basically, like, um, tr- 
Trudeau came under pressure from conservatives, of course, saying like, we can't have an energy crisis in Canada. And so um, now Canada's natural resources minister, Seamus O'Regan, is, you know, out there saying that we're watching this like the hawk and uh, saying that, you know, Canada is ready to intervene on a minute by minute basis. And like, <laughs> basically saying that they're, they've got this plan, they're not going to tell anybody publicly what their legal strategy is because they don't want to negotiate in public, but like they have a plan. And really what it comes down to, if I'm going to be honest with you, is that some organizations are calling on the federal government to use this treaty called the Transit Pipelines Treaty, which it was you know, first agreed to back in the 70s. It's never been invoked as far as I can tell. And it basically guarantees the movement of fuels from Canada to the U.S. and vice versa. But the thing is that this treaty has provisions for states and provinces to shut down pipelines if they need to. And so if Canada were to invoke this and say to the U.S. like, hey, you're shutting down our pipeline, like we're upset, then that heats up relations between the two countries. And that's not something Canada actually would want to do strategically. So Canada actually doesn't have a lot of legal options. Their best option is really just to, you know, diplomatically discuss this calmly with the U.S., um, with the energy secretary in the U.S., which O'Regan has had a phone call with her. So that's most likely what Canada is going to do is just continue to have like nice diplomatic relations with the U.S. They can't really do anything explosive legally. So you mentioned May 12th um, as a deadline. What happens then? I know that May 12th sounds like a scary deadline. <laughs> it's like a month from now. But what happens is the state says Enbridge has to shut this down by May 12th. But Enbridge has said publicly, no, we're not doing that without a court order. <laughs> um, so basically, like if Enbridge doesn't shut down their pipeline by May 12th, they will be in violation of state law. And so they will be operating this pipeline illegally. But... Enbridge has taken this to federal court. So what they did is they removed the matter from state court to federal court, and they're saying that this is a federal matter and they should be regulated by the federal agency rather than the state. Okay. And you're you're basically seeing Enbridge trying to exhaust all its legal options and delay the whole thing as long as possible. Um, so I don't think you're going to see the pipeline being shut down on May 12th. I think you're going to see this play out for a lot longer. We're talking definitely months into the future, possibly a year into the future. And then you've also got Gretchen Whitmer is up for re-election in 2022. Hmm. And also in the meantime, Enbridge wants to build a tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac to house a new pipeline. So that permitting process is really ongoing right now. Um, they might be able to build the tunnel. That might still be years and years down the road. So don't get excited about that. Um, but that's probably how it's going to play out is we're not going to see energy shortages in May, um, but we could see them down the line. In the meantime, even after May 12th, assuming uh, that Enbridge tries to exhaust its legal options, the oil and gas will continue to flow. And I guess to just ask where the risk 
remains. Uh, Enbridge has made improvements to this pipeline, but there's still obviously the danger uh, of a spill. Yes, absolutely. So the danger is still posed by all of these ships that are passing through the straits every day. And while there is still oil in this pipeline below all of those ships, then there is still a danger. Um, the other thing to point out as well is that even though Enbridge has made all of these improvements, and I, I do trust the company that they have made improvements, they've they've shown that they have added anchor supports and all of these things, but at the same time, um, you know, pipelines still do leak. There are cracks, there are welding problems, there are things that can happen over time that the company may not be currently aware of. So, for example, the National National Wildlife Federation had published data that showed that the land-based sections of Line 5 had leaked 29 times since 1968. So that's the same pipeline. Hmm. Yeah. And another thing that we really should be concerned about is that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency had recently fined the company $6.7 million for failing to repair cracks and dents in the larger lakehead system, which is what, like, Line 5 is part of the larger lakehead system. So, if we're, if we're saying, like, okay, Enbridge has done its part here, we have to look at the bigger picture and see that there are still potential dangers from these pipelines. Hillary, thank you so much for explaining this to us. I had no idea about any of this. It's crazy to learn. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love talking about pipelines. You can have me on to talk about pipelines anytime. Hillary Beaumont is a freelance investigative journalist. You can find her piece about Line 5 on the Narwhal. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find Hillary's other episodes there. You can also find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can talk to us anytime via email, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And you can find us in your favorite podcast player or on your favorite voice assistant. Just ask to play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.